Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile, and welcome back, Jeffrey, from a nice holiday. Oh, thank you, Scrolls. Good to be back. Excellent. So we both read this really interesting article on employee engagement, and that led us to some reflections on ease and joy. So I thought I'd ask you, Jeffrey, for your impressions on this article. Um, it'll be in the show notes, of course. Yeah, it was uh, very interesting reading it. Uh, I think this is an article by a gentleman named Luke Thomas called The Employee Engagement Myth. And he talked about the employee engagement industry. Um, I didn't even know there was such an industry. <laughs> well, it's people who are seeing uh, employee engagement now as a, sort of the best shortcut to improving productivity. And the fundamental point that Luke makes in his article is that these people have causality um, backwards. That um, actually what's happening is when you uh, perform at a high level, you feel good about it. And when you don't perform and do your best work, you don't feel good about it. So, so I, I shouldn't hire a team of cheerleaders to help my agile team be more agile. That that wouldn't work. <laughs> That's right. Having having well, it depends. I guess what their what their obstacles are, but uh, odds are that uh, it, it's probably not going to be the the most effective use of uh, of time and money to do that. Um, and and that's and as we said, if you have these sort of gamification uh, where you can track people's engagement, um, you're not really going to get more productive results. You might you might get better scores on a survey, but fundamentally you're not addressing the core problem, which is maybe engaging with what, what the problems are that are keeping people from being uh, effective. And if they're effective, well, then guess what? They'll probably feel happier about it. So the, the people who promote these, and I've used things like Nico Nico before, which is a very cheap, simple way that doesn't require any purchase of any software. I've, I've used those before as a way to point me to problems. So I think they would say, well, look, you, you should be doing that anyway. Maybe he's arguing that in fact, people use these tools in the wrong way. Is that is that what he's saying, or something else? Um, I, well, <laughs> I, I guess he's he's questioning whether the vendors are uh, driving employee engagement. Um, they're really kind of focused on something to sell rather than what's most effective, and that the story they tell is a little bit too simple, and that you need to get back to the the more fundamental question of what's keeping you from being very effective. And he he makes an analogy with a uh, basketball. Uh, which he, he compared a couple uh, different teams. And uh, he says that um, recent Boston Celtics compared to the Golden State Warriors. And for people who don't follow uh, basketball and, and uh, the NBA. That would be me. Who, who are they? <laughs> well, even then, you, you didn't know that, but reading the article, you, you seem to think that the point he made was pretty clear. It was, yep. The Boston Celtics uh, apparently are, are performing uh, currently as one of the worst teams uh, in the NBA, but they are really engaged at work. You know, they try really hard. So they may be losing every single game, but at least they're engaged. Uh, he's saying, that, well, look, in engagement's not really uh, the right thing. You know, you have to look at the fact that they're losing their games. That's going to be pretty, pretty much the, the core of the problem. But if you look at the, one of the best uh, teams in recent years, the Golden State Warriors, and uh, you watch a video of them. Wow, they they look super engaged. You know, they're they're involved in and they're enthusiastic about and committed to their work and workplace. And you know what? They look really happy. But he says, look, that that happiness is because they're performing at a high level, and that's that engagement is a lagging indicator. That happiness is a lagging indicator. Um, that you you want to have people. Uh, if they're performing well, well, then guess what? They're going to show up as as super engaged. Well, I have an example about a team where I certainly saw happiness as a an indicator that there was something for me to engage on. Is is this a good place to tell that story? Yeah, I think so. So uh, I showed up to this 
team, and I, I, I might have mentioned them on previous podcasts, the most obvious um, observable things about this team, when I, which I saw when I, I walked into the team area and, and spent maybe half an hour there, were first of all that everyone was working on very different things and they didn't add up to the major project that was due in two months. And no one saw a path between where they were and delivering that project. And everyone was kind of worried about that, but no one was doing anything about it, at least not visibly. And the other obvious thing was that the product owners and the developers, I've never seen this before, they had separate stand-ups. So uh, they, but part of the reason no one was doing anything about this was that the developers were off kind of doing their own thing and the product owners were doing their own thing and no one was collaborating on solving this problem of this looming deadline. So that certainly seemed to me to be a, a case of uh, low happiness. These people were not very satisfied with the situation and, and felt trapped. And that was an indicator to me to do something, but it wasn't simply to try to help them be happier. I did, did not hire the team of cheerleaders. What I did was to find a way to get a, a walking skeleton going. We could talk another episode sometime about what that is and how it works, but we got a very quick deliverable that was meaningful, clearly pointed the path to where we wanted to be and allowed us to report very frequently on progress and, and demonstrate progress to others and to ourselves. And of course, the other thing I did is I said, uh, let's have the uh, only one stand up product people. You come on over here and uh, let's let's have a, a stand up altogether. And by increasing communication and giving a clear path to uh, an effective outcome, I saw then the lagging indicator of happiness start to increase. And as I talked to more people on the team, they certainly sounded more like the Golden State Warriors. They were engaged and energetic and thought they were going to go take on this big delivery. And they, in fact, did deliver on time and, and quite successfully after uh, uh, getting to that better state. But I certainly saw something that uh, Luke was seeing in his article, that happiness was a lagging indicator. Does that match what you've seen, Jeffrey? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. It does make sense, and it also ties together. Uh, I think one of the thoughts I had in reading uh, Luke's article, which it reminded me a bit of um, a, a much older blog post uh, from uh, Brian Merrick, and he actually uh, published two blog posts uh, close together about forgotten agile values. And it so happened we talked about one of those posts a short while ago, uh, which was about skill and discipline as two agile values that seem to have been forgotten. Indeed. We, we brought that up, if I remember right, in our podcast about uh, Martin Fowler's state of agile and uh, technical excellence as one of the things that he brought up. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll include the link in the show notes to that. <laughs> and the second one was on ease and joy. And uh, I think that your story is a, is a good connection between these because part of what uh, Brian was saying that he valued about XP projects and extreme programming then being the dominant agile methodology at the time um, was that you had people who were uh, taking steps that would be more effective that... Um, they had the skill and discipline uh, to do the work that would chip away at making things easier to do. And that actually trying to make things that are, are difficult or annoying more pleasant is, is one of the things that he really valued about uh, XP projects. And that then later on that he had this, uh, this feeling of joy that came out that people often said that the projects they work on were some of the best they'd ever worked on. And I think your story there talks a little bit about how successful agile projects 
can have this kind of transformative effect for how people are feeling uh, in their in their workplace. You go from a place where people are uh, low energy, they're they're being ineffective, and they're unhappy about it, and uh, then you bring in some of these edge values like you know uh, the business and technical people work together daily. That's you're getting those people in the same standup. You uh, understand the value of incremental delivery and uh, early delivery. Some again, some of the the agile principles we've talked about and that are in the, the the principles connected to the agile manifesto. And guess what? People start having better results and, and they start being effective. To me, your story really ties together these posts from Brian Merrick that I've always been a big fan of with this m- more recent observation from Luke Thomas that uh, people who are are trying to go directly to like engagement as the magic button are, are completely missing uh, the elements that that uh, that lead to the, the results that they that they say they value. Well, that's interesting because I have to say that I find it more challenging than I'd like to talk about joy and ease in what I do. Maybe I should talk about it more, but I can think of two kinds of things that make me feel uncomfortable about that, and maybe some listeners are are feeling that and they, your reactions could be could be interesting to them. The, the first is I've certainly seen examples of agile teams that are absolutely unjoyful where someone has come along and said thou, the very common fat scenario is someone's come along and said thou shalt do it according to this book. Uh, page 93 <laughs> says do it this way and people say okay boss I'll do that and um, they are the opposite of joyful. They are um, prisoners and uh, trapped and unhappy the word slaves comes to mind. Um, it's just not a very comfortable, joyful experience. So I, I can't say that agile leads to joy, but there's something else that leads to joy. I'd be interested in what you think about that. And then the other thing is I just find joy hard to sell. So when I talk to, as you know, startup founders as my main audience, I've only had one and I had a really great consulting experience with him where he said, look, I don't care how, what business results I get. My business is okay. I want my developers to be happy. And we had a really great consulting engagement, but he's the only one I've actually been able to sell joy to. The others really focus on delivery of business value as you would kind of expect them to. And they think of employee engagement perhaps is, is the word they would use rather than joy. And they would think of it as a lagging indicator that, that does come along with better performance, as in the story that I was just describing. That wasn't an, a direct goal of the founders, although they, they did see the disengagement as a problem. So I'm curious about that. Uh, how do you connect Agile to, to Joy? But what is the connection? And um, how, how do you sell Joy to somebody who's uh, interested in the bottom line? I think this is a really uh, hard problem. <laughs> yes. And you encounter it all the time, right? Because you, you've made this kind of a life goal for yourself. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, actually, I have a slightly different goal, but it's very much related, which is uh, reducing suffering uh, insofar as possible, which uh, does have the side effect of often of uh, le- leading to joy. And it, it is it is hard. And I, I think the people I've seen talk about this most directly um, recognize the problem. I mean, in this, these um, the blog post, Brian Merrick himself, he said um, that arguing for ease and joy is a, requires a bit more bravery. It's harder to justify. But he still says, you know, I'd like to believe that joy is its own excuse. Um, but then, it, it, then he ends, though, by saying that he, he hastens to add that joy, like ease, is something achieved within and even because of the steady and frequent delivery of business value. It's joy in doing a particular kind of work. So, so it's very interesting that he, the, he's saying this, that um, he, he's, he's saying that, well, yes, joy is a value, but 
he is also hasting out. It's not like we're saying all that matters is that people are happy. People make this mistake between, uh, I think, the sort of hedonistic, pleasure-seeking, happiness flavor of joy and the joy that comes from tackling an engaging and difficult and meaningful task. And I remember that distinction being important to the Menlo Park folks, uh, the authors of the book uh, Joy Inc., in which they talk about a company in which the explicit goal was to create joy, and <laughs> they meant the second kind of joy, not the first kind. Yeah, that's right. And, I, and it's, it's funny because when we were talking about this, two books came to mind for me right off the bat, um, both of which uh, sometimes I, I confuse the two of them because they both have the word joy in the title, and it's not a very common among business books. The second one is Joy at Work by Dennis Bakke. And that's interesting here as we relate it. I think it's a, it's a good to add to the mix because um, Menlo Innovations very much is a, an XP story. It's extreme programming story. He's talking about joy and ease and skill and discipline exactly the way Brian Merrick would have. In this case, the, the founder of Menlo Innovation had a sort of classic death mark type project and said, well, I never ever want to do that again. Discovered extreme programming and then never looked back and, and made that the core of, of his very successful and now at this point long-lived uh, company. Dennis Bakke is interesting, and I think he's a, it's a good person to kind of round this out with, both the difficulty of, of making this business case and also, though, I think at the same time making a very good argument for why we should look beyond the business case. Dennis Bakke, I came across him because of the recent interest in so-called teal organizations. And these are uh, companies that are supposed to identify sort of the next step in the evolution of organizations and how we put put them together. Was it red and blue and then teal? Is that the right, the colors? I think it's something like um, uh, red and then orange, yellow, green, and teal, if I remember the, the rainbow correctly. I've lost track. We'll put a link in the show notes, <laughs> and I'll be probably sure to go read it myself. The, the key book here is um, Reinventing Organizations for people who are interested in this topic. And it's mm -hmm. probably something we can talk about more at a later date. Um, but I think we connect this back to what's interesting about a teal organization and where this uh, relates to uh, Dennis Bakke is that at AES, they started with something, a decision-making principle where anyone in the company could make any decision as long as they had input from all the right people. And uh, this is a sort of a very radical uh, approach to um, pushing down authority into the organization. Yeah. Talk about self-organizing. Yes, exactly. The uh, receptionist could decide to uh, completely rework the um, customer contact strategy or something like that. Uh, that's, that's that's exactly right, and you know someone could make. Um, they were an energy company. Someone uh, you know made the decision to make their first sale of a uh, of a power plant in, in in Pakistan to build their first power plant in a new country. Someone had had to do that. It wasn't based on their job title, but rather on the fact that they took responsibility for uh, getting input from everyone who had relevant information, and or who would be affected by the decision. And this idea that we're going to push authority out into where people would be making important decisions was uh, something that, that uh, Bakke approached more because of it was the right thing to do. He says it's very important that a company see this as um, their purpose, not as something that gets good business results. And it, now he does, he, he also argues, look, it, it, it does get good business results, but if you are 
see this as a means to an end and not an end in itself, then you leave yourself vulnerable to, well, when, what happens when things are going bad at the business? People will say, oh, look, this radical empowerment stuff doesn't work. And I think this is something when people who are um, looking at uh, Agile as the, you know, the, the magic wand, which I think was what's the case you described earlier, uh, when you have that sort of top-down imposition of, you know, thou shalt be Agile by this book and uh, you know, follow what it says and turn off your brain, they're missing this point that the humans, when they're able to do important work and take on difficult problems and be successful, then they feel, and this is the, uh, Baki's line, they feel something akin to joy at work. And it's that kind of valuable, significant problem solving that have people feel engaged that gives them the same sense of joy. And uh, I doubt that Brian Merrick has ever met Dennis Baki. Perhaps they have, but I have a feeling that they would say that this is the type of joy that they were, were talking about. Similarly, Richard Sheridan, Menlo Innovations. And this is what we're coming back to Luke Thomas and about, I think we get to the same thing, which people are getting good results, um, will be happy, but you're going to get your best results when you can get everyone involved in contributing. And we talk about the principles behind the Agile Manifesto. And I think we contrast that with that sort of um, by the book, page 93 version that you, you were describing. Absolutely. But I'm wondering how we can tie that back to things that our listeners can do, because I can imagine most of them are probably not founding new companies at which they can announce that joy at work is going to be the main goal of the company to come thicker than, and those of them who, who are might be able to take that approach. But I'm not quite sure how they could apply some of these ideas day to day. Can you help us out with that? Well, I think what I have been able to focus on and what I think uh, I've been able to sell uh, as in conversation, it's not something I, I may be selling commercially the way that, that you are, but I'll say, look, I care about working on what we see as our most significant problems and ask for and seek out the areas that, that people see as being difficult and challenging and that people feel would make a difference and often talk about joy directly. I do say this very often. I say people do care. And this is, comes from our discussion about theory X, theory Y, which we've talked about in past episodes, that you know people do care about their projects. They do care about that the stuff they work on is successful and that if we allow them that they will do everything they can to help make these projects successful. So let's make sure that we're number one, working on things that are, are important, that people understand that they're important. And if they understand and agree that they're important, then they're going to be coming up with their own suggestions and that we should listen to, to try to uh, move us forward and people will uh, be engaged. I have definitely driven that, that if we have significant work and give people uh, the autonomy and empower them, then they'll be innovative and coming up with solutions that we would be unlikely to come up with. And that joy will be a side effect, that, that employee engagement will be a side effect of that, a very positive side effect, one that we want, but something that will come later as a result of those changes. Yes. One of the easiest ways, if we want to give people something very uh, specific that they can point to, and it's very easy to, to do, is uh, I remember showing people the Drive video uh, from Dan Pink. And uh, there's a, a very short RSA animate short, uh, which is a sort of a him talking and then illustrated. I think that's the whole thing is about 12 or 15 minutes. So you can, you can show this to people and say, look, this is 
what motivates people is autonomy, purpose, and mastery. And not bribes, not <laughs> bonuses, not giving the money. In fact, one of the great points of the video is that he points out that actually giving them money has the reverse effect. It actually makes them do less well. Yes, because it can inhibit their problem-solving ability. And I, and I found this very persuasive to, to various managers and executives. And if I tie it back to Brian Merrick again and his combination of skill and discipline, that's the mastery portion of what Dan Pink was talking about. And then you, what you need is that autonomy that you give people the control over their work, which flows through so many of the agile principles. And then uh, finally, the purpose, uh, are we taking on significant work? As is, is this something worth doing? Uh, which I think for me resonates with uh, Dennis Bakke's uh, point about uh, people care about working on significant problems. And to come back all the way to Luke's article, tell me if I've misunderstood, but I think you and I are agreed that we we think Luke's article is very helpful and, and heads in a, a very good direction in particular. It's really consonant with the values and principles we talk about to say, you know, it's all great to measure whether you're using something as simple as Nico Nico or something complex like small enhancements or any of the other uh, wonderful tools that you can use for, uh, what is it, small engagements? I'll, I'll find it and I'll, uh, I'll include it. But uh, small improvements, that's the one. I knew I could remember it whether you're using uh, something simple or something that you pay for, those are really measurements of a lagging indicator. And the much more helpful thing to do would be to get the, the team in involved and aligned in designing a path forward, kind of like in my story. And that will then lead to an improvement in what you're measuring. But handing out bags of money or hiring cheerleaders is not going to help you. <laughs> That's right. You you can't move it towards kind of joy from effectiveness. It's not something you can just uh, try to achieve directly. You need to you need to achieve it through these other principles like skill and discipline or mastery and then autonomy purpose. That's exactly right. There we go. Okay. Well, if listeners were interested in any of those topics, had a different point of view, if you think joy at work is not a good idea, uh, any of those ideas would be very interesting to us. Please come on to troubleshootingagile.com. Drop us an email. That's how we got uh, many of our best, uh, most interesting episodes is through listener comments and questions. Of course, we also like it very much when listeners subscribe and uh, listen to these podcasts each week. That's what helps us keep them going. And um, so far, we've made one every week for this year, I think. So we're, we're doing pretty well on consistency. And um, if you can uh, subscribe, we'd sure appreciate it. It keeps our listener numbers up and keeps us knowing that you guys are enjoying what we're, what we're putting out. So, Jeffrey, we'll see you next week with something else interesting, exciting, perhaps joyful. <laughs> I think it will be. 